Chapter 26 of Arona, The Bank of Arona I woke up early with the princess in my arms. As she stirred in her sleep, I was reminded of how lucky I was to have found her. It seemed surreal, and everything had happened so fast. I watched her as she slept. She looked so beautiful and still, peaceful. I was able to sneak into her tent every night, though it hardly felt like sneaking anymore. The guards knew me by name, mistakenly calling me Sir Troy as I walked past them nightly. I worried that the king would find out and be angry, but I suppose he was too preoccupied to care. Our combined army slowly crept north over the high rolling sand dunes of the southern peninsula. If I hadn't seen the sea to the west, I would have thought we were heading in circles. The dunes all around looked identical and seemed to go on forever. My grandfather said you may join us in Skylar, said the princess as she rode up next to me. It is a great honor only a few have enjoyed. Follow me. I had no idea what she was talking about, but I was surprised the king was allowing me to join them. We rode off away from the army and out over the dunes to the east. Where is Skylar? I asked loudly. This is Skylar. Do you know of the Quan? She asked. Yes, the glowing pebbles that you use as money, right? Correct. It all comes from Skylar. We're going there now. My grandfather hopes to raise money to hire mercenaries for the war and pay for his army. Skylar acts as the de facto bank of Verona, lending out money to kings and queens. I looked out again in every direction and saw nothing but the same rolling dunes. She saw me looking and said, It's a secret kingdom, impossible to find or reach. Only kings and queens and their families are allowed to visit. Then she added, And of course, honored guests. As we came riding down one of the dunes, I saw the king at its base with another man on horseback. He had dark, beautiful skin and wore all white with a funny-looking turquoise hat that looked like a spiral turban decorated with tiny pieces of quan. Thank you for letting me join you, King Richard, I said as we stopped. Yes, well, my granddaughter has grown quite fond of you. I hope her visions aren't clouded with her infatuation of the unknown and new. I had no idea what he was talking about and didn't know how to respond, so I remained silent. Hello, Princess Josiah. I am Eulerium, and will be guiding you to Skylar, the man said. He bowed slightly, and I saw then he wasn't human like I thought he was. His skin and thick leather belt were dotted with quan as well. He was very tall and slender, yet muscular. His jet black skin shimmered different shades of black as he moved, and one eye was gray and the other green. He carried no weapon I could see, but wore multiple mysterious gadgets on his belt. The king, Chelsiah, and I followed our guide over the soaring sand dunes for another hour before we stopped at the top of one. There was no vegetation, no unique markings of any kind, so when Eulerium dismounted from his horse and asked us to do the same, I was really confused. We are here, he said, looking up towards the blue sky. I looked up and could see nothing but the familiar blue sky with thick white cloud cover high above. From here we will travel up to Skylar, he said. Prepare yourselves. Take nothing with you but what you wear. All your needs will be met in our kingdom. He took a small gold flute-like instrument from off his belt and began playing a long and complex tune. He looked up again, as did I. This time I could see a group of small black dots high above us 
come out of the clouds and dive towards the ground. As they got closer, I counted 12 large black hawk-like creatures. They continued to dive, landing on the dune around us. Instead of two wings, each large hawk had four. The larger wings near the head of the skyhawks, as I learned they were called, fanned out at least six feet in each direction. Farther down towards their broad tails, they had wings that went out half this much. They had dark black eyes and dots of burnt orange and yellow speckled throughout their black feathers. They wore thick leather collars and harnesses, also dotted with glowing quan. The skyhawks will take us as high as they can go, about 10,000 feet, where we will reach the first platform, he explained. He walked over to one of the birds and reached inside a leather pack attached to the hawk, pulling out a large net. He spread the net out, directing the skyhawks through the music of his flute, and hooked parts of the net to the clasps on the leather harnesses that each bird wore. Our guide looked at King Richard. Please, Sire, take a seat in the center, he said. He then gestured for us to do the same. We all did, including Eulerium, who then played an even more complex song. The Skyhawks struggled to get airborne at first, making a terrible screeching noise before we slowly started our ascent. I looked at Chelsea and she smiled. I wondered if this was also her first journey to Skylar. She looked over the edge, then looked at me, smiling nervously. Don't look down, she said. I instinctually looked over and was shocked by how high we already were. I seemed to be getting used to the heights and wasn't near as afraid as when we first arrived on Arona and visited Elden. I then looked up and was surprised to see a small platform above us. As we got closer, I saw a long ladder going up from the platform that attached it to another platform, at least a few hundred feet higher. Above the second platform was another platform, and yet another above that one, as high as I could see. The platform seemed to come down from the clouds, for nothing touched the ground below. The Skyhawks can barely fly at this altitude, yelled Eulerium over the howling wind. Brace yourself for the landing. Despite his warning, the net was put down softly on the large platform, which was made of some kind of metal. It looked like stone, but had the sound and texture of metal. The platform felt very sturdy, but I still felt a tiny scared as I looked over the edge to the dunes far below. From here we climb, said Eulerium. He stuffed the net back into the hawk's backpack, pulling out a cluster of ropes and harnesses. Attach these clamps to the middle rod as you climb. That way, if you fall, you won't fall far. What? No. Where is the basket? asked the king. Last time I was pulled up in a large basket from here to the top. No baskets this low. The wind is too strong now. We have had several accidents in high wind. Queen Monikar instructed all visitors to climb until the windy season has passed. I'm sorry, my lord. It is the only way. Just then, a strong gust of wind came and spooked me, moving me slightly. The princess screamed, and I grabbed onto her in the ladder. Even though there was plenty of room on the platform, I couldn't help thinking we could be blown off at any moment. I quickly put on my harness and clamped it onto the safety bar that ran up the middle of the ladder. 
The king went first, followed by the princess. I was next, and Eulerium brought up the rear. After about 15 minutes of climbing, my arms became tired and weak, and it was increasingly difficult to breathe in the high altitude. Just when I had looked up to check how much further we had to climb, the king lost his grip and fell straight towards us. He smacked into Chelsea, knocking her off the ladder. I tried to grab onto her and the king, as did Eulerium, but they continued to fall as the princess and king screamed out in panic. After about ten feet of freefall, they both came to an abrupt stop as their ropes reached the previous clamp and point below. Chalcia stopped screaming and took some deep breaths to calm herself, eyeing King Richard with a confused sort of anger. He caught her looking at him and started to chuckle and then laugh out loud, which caused Chalcia to do the same. Eulerium slid down the ladder in a flash to help them get their footing once again. This is why you must always clamp in. Every clamp point. The gods have saved you this day, he said. We climbed for another half an hour before the princess said she couldn't go on. I was glad she said something because I couldn't feel my arms. It's a good stopping point, said Eularia. He looked up at the next platform. Yellow, blue, and white banners attached to the platform above us flapped in the wind violently. The winds are picking up. We need to seek shelter until they die down. Please have a rest, he said, pointing to a type of shelter that had been built on every platform. The king opened the latch and went inside. Eulerium rushed in front of us and lit some candles in decorative cases. Soft blankets and pillows made from mysterious animal furs were laid about the small room with a low circular table in the middle. Eulerium then hurried to make a type of tea on a small type of furnace he had just started. I'm sorry, but you'll have to sleep here for the night. The night sky winds make it impossible to climb. I hope you are comfortable enough. The king looked disappointed and said nothing as he started to get more comfortable. Eulerium placed the tea in Quan's speckled metal cups on the table and hurried out of the shelter. The princess sipped the hot tea. I love Skylarian tea. They say even the tea has specks of Quan inside. Ugh, I wouldn't doubt it, replied the king, taking a sip. They put Quan on everything. The cost of this cup alone is absurd. I'm going to bed. Come, Josiah, you can rest next to me. The king blew out all but one candle, and I laid down on the other side of the room. I could hear the wind howling outside as I looked over the richly decorated furnishings. I hardly slept at all, and woke up once thinking I was falling. Several times in the night, I stared out the small window and watched the now familiar nightlights dance all around us. Reds, yellows, and muted blues seemed to pass right through our shelter. I don't think any of us slept well except Eulerian who looked right at home, sleeping outside on the edge of the platform, thousands of feet from the ground. The next morning, we woke up and went outside and saw sand everywhere. I was so surprised. It was all over Eulerium's fur sleeping sack, and must have blown up from the dunes below in the night. Eulerium jumped up once he heard us exit the shelter door, embarrassed that we woke up before him. Please, have a seat, he said, guiding us back into the shelter. I have a small breakfast. He served us a mixture of strange cured meats and that same delicious tea as he began sweeping the sand off the platform. He left the door open, and as we were eating, a group of men who looked similar to Eulerium came climbing up from below. They carried large backpacks and climbed at a rapid speed. Eulerium noticed us watching them. 
They bring goods up to Skylar, he explained. What type of goods? I asked. Everything that is needed, he replied. Food, cloth, arone, and all manner of supplies. Not much is made in Skylar. He began packing up. We must get going. The next caravan of porters will be arriving soon. We need to get climbing so we don't slow them down in between platforms. My arms burned as we started to climb again. A white mist enveloped us, and it took me a second to realize that we were now climbing through the clouds. Finally, I saw what looked like land. Not much further, yelled Eulerium. I can see the sky stone now. We climbed up to the final large platform, and I looked around to see that there was no more ladders. The final platform was built into the sky stone above, but there was no way to continue to climb up any further. The stone was a mix of light blue, white, and yellow, with beautiful swirling patterns and millions of tiny sparkles. Clouds floated around us, and I could see more of the shimmering land as the wind shifted them around. We moved into a pavilion in the center of the last platform, and there was a small hole in the land directly above us. A large basket was being lowered through the opening. Inside was a strikingly beautiful non-human woman, like Eulerium, with black shimmering skin dotted with quan. She was dressed in a long, elegant, flowing white silk dress, with a glowing light blue sash clenched around her waist, and a full-length, soft yellow fur coat. Her hair was done up in a tight weave, and dotted with shimmering quan. In fact, all of her clothing was decorated with quan. You are most welcome, King Richard, said the woman. The basket slowly came to a stop in front of us. It has been too long since we have had the pleasure of your company. My sister the queen is expecting you. Please, enter, she said, opening the door to the sparkling basket. Thank you, Princess Israbina, the king said. You look as breathtaking as ever. He motioned to us as he kissed her hand. My granddaughter, Chelsiah, and her companion, Troy. I looked around in wonder as we were raised through the opening and up the last hundred feet. How is there land floating in the clouds? I asked. The clouds in this area are filled with the roam. There is a reaction between the sand which is blown up from the desert below into these unique dense Aronic clouds. It has caused the formation of the Aronian skystone. Over millions of years, the stone freezes and binds to the Aronian clouds, forming a growing network of seemingly floating landmasses, she explained. She must have seen the look of confusion on my face. It is difficult to understand, I know. Arone is a mysterious substance. It makes the impossible possible. I looked down at her sash as she spoke and noticed the glowing stones were of different sizes and shapes, embroidered in an intricate pattern. The basket wobbled slightly in the wind as it was raised up by some type of pulley system. At times, I could hardly see as the fog of clouds would completely engulf us. Once we made it through the opening, I could see a magnificent city made of shimmering marbled skystone. Smooth round towers of different heights broke up the passing clouds. It was piercingly cold, and several men and women placed large yellow soft furs over each of us as we exited the basket. Men, women, and children, dressed in fine silk robes and pale yellow furs, moved to and fro through the winding cobblestone streets in and out of their beautiful personal towers. 
Each tower was a different size, but they were all decorated with Quan and Skystone. Israbina noticed me staring in awe at the many varied towers and said, The wealthier the family, the more opulent their tower and decor. I saw what she meant. Some of the towers shot way above their neighbors and were completely covered in Quan. I never thought I'd see a place where money would be used as decoration on the outside of homes. So, how does it work? Can they just mine and take all the Quan they want and use it to decorate their homes and clothing? No. As you might know, all the Quan on Arona comes from this skystone. It is only found here. All unmined Quan is owned by the Queen, and it is forbidden to take it. Any Quan used for decoration is earned. We were guided through the streets until we reached a grand square decorated with Quan sculptures. At the end of the square was a large, round, glowing tower with what seemed like hundreds of smaller towers on top of it. Each tower was entirely covered with Quan and tiny windows. The people of Skylar were rich beyond imagination. I had never seen such extreme decadence. Down below, the smallest amount of Quan could buy any number of items. Yet in Skylar, it was everywhere. No wonder visitors weren't allowed into the city. How could they keep them from stealing? As we approached the spiraled tower palace, the large Quan-covered double doors were pushed open and King Richard's name was announced as horns were blown. In front of us, on a radiant white throne, sat a gorgeous queen in a long, flowing, sparkling dress. On both sides of the round walls sat two levels of black-skinned men with curly white beards wearing strange, varied spiral turbans. They stared at us, whispering to one another as we walked towards the queen. King Richard, what a pleasure. It has been too long. Why do you never visit me? asked Queen Monica. She stood up, with men picking up the ends of her dress as she did, and walked over to us. Her face was completely covered in tiny pieces of quan, causing her to shimmer as she spoke. I'm sorry, my dear queen. I've been tangled in the mess that is the world below you. How I wish I could visit you more often, replied the king. He bent over and gently kissed her outreached but dazzled hand. She turned and walked back to her throne, gesturing to one of the old men, who then dipped his feathered pen into an ink pot. Please, tell me how I can be of service, said the queen. As you might know, your majesty, Arona is engulfed in war. Russo has betrayed me and most of the other kingdoms in an effort to control all sources of their own. He has joined forces with my eternal enemy, the Taronks and King Akat. His ill-fated partnership with the Taronks quickly ended with another betrayal and the fall of Castone. King Akat now controls almost all their own. His plan is to control it entirely, and he has stopped all shipments in an effort to kill off his enemies. Hmm. He hasn't stopped our shipments, responded the queen. On the contrary, our supply of Verone has more than doubled, and at half the price it was before. We are very pleased. King Richard looked surprised at that. Well, this is only because he needs you for the time being. Once he is powerful enough, 
he will surely strike. Impossible, she scoffed. No army has ever set foot in Skylar, nor will it ever. Maybe so, replied the king, but there is no need. My spies tell me King Akat plans to outlaw all use of Quan once he has control of Arona. What will you do then, once your only resource is worth nothing? Your people will starve. You will be forced to abandon the safety of the clouds and wander Arona in an effort to survive. Impossible! How dare you speak such blasphemy in my presence, she said, her voice rising as she leaned forward in her throne. I will never take one step on that hot land below! I mean you no offense. I only tell you what I know, and I come to offer my assistance. Peace needs to be restored. The Aron must continue to be available to all. Millions of lives are at stake. My kingdom and my many allies need your help in order to sustain an army that is capable of restoring order. The queen calmed herself and sat down, thinking for a moment. How much do you need? she asked. We need at least 500 pounds, the king said, causing the room to grow noisy with gasps from the queen's many bearded accountants. Please give me a moment to discuss the matter with my advisors, said the queen. She signaled for Isra to escort us to a small waiting room. Once the doors were closed, Richard began pacing the room, looking somewhat worried. I hope she believes my lie. What? replied the princess. You mean a cat has no plans to outlaw Quan? I have no idea. I had to say something. I didn't know what he was still doing providing Skylar with a roan, much less that their supply had been doubled. Ah, a cat must still be supplying them because he knew I would stop here. He knew I would need the funds and must hope they will reject me if they have their own. And 500 pounds? She will never give so much, Grandfather. I know, I know. I'm hoping to get two. We'll be lucky to get three. Hopefully she'll feel threatened by my bluff and give us what we need. I was surprised by the king's lie. I was also surprised Akat was still providing Aron to these people. It was clear both these men were keen strategists. After about 20 minutes, the door finally opened. We all stood, thinking it was time to re-enter the throne room. To our surprise, a young girl entered the room. She wore a long, quan-covered white dress and had star patterns of quan bedazzling her exposed arms, face, and hair. A very tall, white, pointed hat bobbled on her head as she walked confidently towards us before stopping a few feet away. Where is Princess Istorbina? Does Queen Monica have an answer? asked the king. She said nothing and closed her eyes exposing her quan-covered eyelids and taking a deep breath. She then began to sing. It was unlike anything I had ever heard, far more beautiful than any music or song on earth. I don't know how to describe it. Her voice filled the room with such magical sound that I could actually feel the music enter my body. With each mysterious note, different emotions and sensations overwhelmed me. Warmth, peace, and love froze us in our place. She then opened her eyes and walked back out the door, saying nothing. 
I looked over at Chelsiah and King Richard, who both had tears in their eyes and were still frozen and silent. Please, Queen Monikar will see you now, said Isorbina, standing in the doorway. I think we're all still in shock from the music as we walk silently back into the throne room. We are prepared to offer you a loan of 300 pounds at 22% interest. We are willing to waive the interest if a cat is destroyed, said Queen Monikar. Thank you. I won't let you down, replied Richard. I will return with a cat's head. That's all I have time for now. I wanted to say a special thank you to some of my oldest patrons. Spencer, Amy, Tara, Mia, Laura, Candy, Jindy, Drew, and Jaren. Thanks for sticking with me and helping me pay for this podcast. Hopefully I'll be back soon with another chapter of Verona, right here on the Storyteller Podcast. <laughs>